stand with me for the, the readings? If you have a Bible, follow along. If not, the words will be on the screen. The first is Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. Please remain standing as we pray. Almighty God, um, what a wonderful time to be with your people as we prepare our hearts to celebrate once again for the 2,000-plus time the remembrance that you came to this earth to bring peace. Be with Kyle as he preaches. Be with us as we hear your word. And all that has happened in this church today, let it be a blessing to you and to those who see and hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. Normally we have, um, if you're new here and you're curious about this, normally we do have a children's ministry that's open. We have a wonderful um, program called Seeds. Really creative teachers. They're the ones that kind of put on this, uh, this, this production for you this morning. And it's a lot of fun. They're so creative and talented and they just love our kids. And um, So normally they would be going into their classrooms right now, but it's Christmas Eve and we just wanted a big family spirit um, in the church this morning. So we're just going to ask um, that um, we just celebrate the fact that our kids are here. We love children. We don't mind um, that they make a little noise, you know, so it's okay. They, they have permission for that. If they maybe get a little too loud, we do have, I think they mentioned this, but we do have a mom's room. Um, we can maybe use it for moms and dads today, but it's in the back, and you can still hear what's going on back there. But praise God for you, and praise God for your children. It's so great to have them all here today. Um, please, uh, please enjoy the food after church. Um, I know we probably all have parties to go to, um, and that's really great, but we have really awesome uh, treats for you guys. So and if you don't eat them, they're going to end up getting thrown away, and I'd hate to see that. But um, bring them to your parties, too, if, uh, if you don't feel like eating them now. Okay, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, 
I want to take a, just a brief moment to consider and to just recognize the fact that many people around Christmas time don't really feel a whole lot of uh, joy. Um, it's not very merry for a lot of people. There's a sadness sometimes that comes across us because of a tragedy or a loss. Some perhaps have lost a loved one this past year. Um, and normally a person that we would call on the phone or spend time with, the house would fill uh, with the aroma of what they were cooking or their laughter. And um, it, it might be a hard time for you to reflect on that. So we just want to pay attention to that and recognize that that hurts and we grieve with you. So I'd like you to just take a moment with me to close our eyes together in some silence. Uh, perhaps remember the sound of their voice, remember their laugh, remember a pleasant time that you had with them. Dear God, I, like many here, remember my Graham and my Meme. I remember their infectious laugh. I remember their love for their children and kids. Some of us remember a child. Some of us remember a husband or a son or a wife. Some of us are maybe grieving the end of a marriage. We cast our cares on you, Lord. We know that you care for us. And we trust and believe what your word says in Isaiah 43. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? So God, in spite of maybe the loss that we've experienced, we trust that you're doing a new and a good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> one psalm, one prayer in the psalm reads this. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. I'm an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me plot to take my life. Now I know this might not be a traditional type of Christmas message, message or passage. It's truly a tormented soul that we have a window into. A soul filled with sorrow and fear and dread. And if I can attempt to really identify the source of that torment, perhaps you picked up on it as well, we can notice a few things that we might even have in common with this sufferer. Loneliness. He says, I am forgotten. I feel alone. The whole room is filled with people, yet I feel like I'm the only one in it. He's, he feels shame. 
Many hear my whispering terror on every side. The grief sometimes that we often bear stems from the mistakes that we've made, the things that we should have done that didn't do. And he also feels irrelevance or uselessness. He says, I have become like a piece of broken pottery. Not much you can do with a piece of broken pottery. And oftentimes in our life, the grief that we bear and carry is because we sense this uselessness in our, what, what am I here for? What's the point to my life? Friends, as dreary as this might sound, it is oftentimes characteristics of, char- characteristic of our soul, isn't it? And the message I offer to you today is a message about peace. Not so much about political or world peace. Not so much about relational peace, as important as those subjects are and as necessary as they are to talk about. I would rather this morning talk to you about your soul peace, your heart peace. From time to time in life, or for many of us it could be maybe more daily or chronic, we carry a tormented soul, a soul tied up in knots, a heart discontent and at war with itself. And Jesus says, I am the Prince of Peace. This because I believe every single person that you will ever meet needs three things. And you need it too, and I need it as well. The first thing that we need is mutual and familial love. I'm yours, you're mine, you're a part of us, part of us, you're in and you're not out. You are loved. We all need that. We need honor. I'm pleased with you. You satisfy me. You live your life rightly. We want to feel that way about ourselves. We want others to affirm that in us. And we also, thirdly, need to feel as if we perform a function well, that we're useful, that we count for something. We're important, we're, our usefulness, that we're important, that we're good at fill in the blank. I have a job for you because I notice how good you perform at fill in the blank. You see? Mutual and familial love, honor, and usefulness, it's in us, it's ingrained in us. We need someone to cast the verdict on us that we are loved, that we are honorable, and that we are useful. All our lives, we're looking, isn't this true, to prove that we have all of these things. To prove ourselves in all or one of these categories. That we are loved, that we are part of something. That we measure up, that we are living rightly according to a standard. That we matter, that we contribute to something worthwhile. And you're going to note that your soul can be quite a dark place should any of these things be called into question especially if they're called into question by someone that matters very much to us. A wife should leave us, and all of a sudden, all three of those things come crumbling down. We are not loved. We fell short, and we are not useful. That's the story we tell ourselves when sometimes tragedy strikes. So should any cast a verdict that we're not loved, that we're shameful, that we're useless, we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to prove that wrong, aren't we? We're going to try to show it that it's not true. And most likely, if you're anything like me, you're never going to satisfy your tormented soul. 
it just doesn't work. There isn't a job good enough. There isn't a lady lovely enough. There aren't parents compassionate enough to fill that emptiness. Peace, soul peace, life satisfaction, lasting joy, I think comes when we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are indeed loved, that we are right, and that we are important. And we are all very quite insecure about whether or not any of those things are true. So my hope is that in the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to come to know why the child born in a manger 2,000 years ago can provide all of these things for you in an instant, perfectly and completely. We read the Gospel of Matthew, and we read it just a moment ago, some weighty theological themes. I don't know if anyone is familiar with Christianity or not, but this is a very loaded passage of Scripture that has set many pens writing about who Jesus is, who he really is. We're whisked on top of a mountain, and we're given a window into at least what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and his identity and nature. Quite a different image of the baby in the manger. John identifies Christ in the first chapter of his gospel, the gospel of John, as the one that was in the beginning who made all things. He calls him the Word, and he calls the Word God himself. And this Word was made flesh. So the babe in the manger, according to Scripture, is not just simple, ba- uh, just some simple baby. The babe in the manger is the Word of God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the message of Scripture. So he is no ordinary baby, according to the Bible. God the Son takes on flesh. He becomes like us. He humbles himself by becoming a man. Imagine that. And on top of this mountain, three of his disciples are shown who he was before he became a man. He pulls back his flesh, so to speak, and reveals to them who he really is. And the only word, that, the, if you notice this in our text, that the Bible can describe the image, the nature of Christ, is light. It was like a bright light from heaven. And at this revelation, and at this declaration of God the Father about who he is, the Bible says that everyone present fell down as dead in his presence. And when Christ revealed to Peter, James, and John his nature before he was born as God, we hear a voice from heaven. Did you see this? It says, the Father says of the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The Father casts a verdict on the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son. I love him. He is a part of me. He is loved. I am pleased with him. I am proud of him. And he says, listen to him because he has something. He's competent. He's good at something. And you should listen up. Friends, as children, and I think even beyond, this is what we desperately want to hear from our dads, especially boys. We want to hear from dad, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you got what it takes. And if, if, you're, if, if you have a dad, and if, you know, 
if that you know, I mean, more than likely, you've wanted this from him throughout your life. And if you haven't received this from your dad, I can pretty much guarantee you that you've tried to prove that you, that you have all those things in spite of his opinion of you. You know how much you search for it in others and other people and places and jobs and work when all you really wanted as a young man was your dad to say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and boy, you are good at fill in the blank. It's what we want from our parents. And this is not just for sons and dads. This is for everybody. How negatively it's affected our own worth if we were deprived of this as young people. And it's a, maybe just kind of a side lesson for us. We got many children in this room today. How are we affirming and loving them, showing them our affection and our care? So as we grow, we kind of get sick of mom and dad telling us these things, right? Yeah, you, we know you love us, Ma. You come to every basketball game. It doesn't really matter what you think anymore. Now it matters what coach thinks. Now it matters what friends think. Now it matters what teachers think. And that doesn't change as you grow. As you grow, you're still trying to prove yourself. Maybe to a girl or to a guy. You know, if that girl likes me, man, you know, that will prove that I am worth something. That I'm better than other people, right? Or if I get, you know, you continue to grow up, marriage, children, you know, if I get this promotion, I get this job, that will affirm my own worth. It's how we grow from school friends to guys and girls to teachers and bosses, respected professionals. We tirelessly look for someone to cast a verdict on our lives. You are loved, you are honorable, and you are competent. And Jesus has the verdict cast on him by the highest court and the greatest authority, God the Father himself, this is my beloved son, I am so happy with him, listen to what he says. Do you see built in that your human need? That you need the Father to tell you, this is my beloved child, in whom is all my pleasure, listen to them. We need that verdict as well. And I want to take a look exactly at what the Father means by this. He says, Jesus, you are my beloved son. He calls him my beloved son. How many of us would love to hear from our dads? Or excuse me, how many of us have loved to hear from our dads? Or maybe would love to hear from our dads? This is my son. Oh, and I love him so much. How many people would just melt in their seat right now if dad said that to you? Sadly, many of us grow up without dads that have ever even told us that they love us. But here is this babe in a manger, the beloved son of the heavenly father. Not only is he being told by the father that he is loved, but the father is announcing it to everyone else as well. He is unashamed of his boy. He loves him. He demonstrates publicly paternal affection for his son. This is my beloved son. The father calls him son. He is no servant. He's not even just a friend. He shares dad's nature. He is part of dad. You see? 
Of Jesus we read in John chapter 1, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made the Father known. You see what it says there? That the nature of the Son and the Father are the same. They're both God. There's a, there's a theological term for this in Christianity. It's called the Trinity. That there is one God and three in person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is by very nature God. And the Father <clears throat> is, he, is He who the Son willfully submits to. The Son is one with the Father, begotten of the Father, without beginning or ending, Without the Son, I don't know if you picked up on this, but without the Son, nobody in here would even have any understanding of anything about God at all. Because listen, listen to what it says. He has made Him known. The Bible says that eternity is written on your hearts. That means that even if you aren't very religious at all, you, had, you have some awareness that something more powerful than you is out there. No... No cat ever looked into the sky and said, I wonder where I came from. You see, eternity has written on our hearts. We know something's out there. And the reason you know this is because of the Son. He has made him known. The Son is one with the Father, begotten of the Father, without beginning or end. Without the Son, we wouldn't understand anything about God at all. The Christian, if, you're any, if you know anything about Christianity, we're called children of God too, but there's a difference. We are adopted children of God. There is only one naturally begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he is one with him by nature. The Father calls him beloved. And what's really interesting about this in our text is that Jesus is worthy of God's love. Because it says with whom I am well pleased. So this means that I love you in spite of you, right? We all know that as parents, right? We love you in spite of you because a parent will love your children when everyone else thinks they're a jerk, right? But we just love them no matter what, right? But this context is saying that the son deserves this love. He's worthy of that love. I, not I love you in spite of you, but I love you because of you. The Son, by nature and behavior, deserves all of the love of the Father. You guys know who Mr. Rogers is, right? Good to be your neighbor. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way deep down inside you. You see, the Father looked deep down in the soul of Christ observing all his actions and announces, I love every part, every motive, every intention I love. And in this instance, what the Father loves about the Son is quite simple. What is he pleased with? Well, he's pleased with many things, but in the context of this passage, he was pleased that the Son became a man to die for sinners. That he was obedient to this plan and being found in appearance as a man, we learn from the New Testament, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The, the Son of God chose to become a man obedient to the Father's will so he might die for sinners. Isn't that incredible? The baby in the manger is different from you and I. How many people in this room chose to be born? 
It was your decision. Of course not. That's ridiculous. None of us chose to be born. There was a power outside of ourselves that made this so. This was not the case with Christ. The child in the manger was there not because of Mary and Joseph, but because the child chose to be born. Jesus Christ existed in eternity past, and he accepted the Father's will, and the Father looks at him and says, this is my beloved Son. I love every part of him, every motive, every intention, every choice I love. In whom, number two, I am well pleased, he says. I am well pleased with him. And what was it that the Father was so pleased with the Son about? Today, I think we're all kind of used to hearing, like, love is blind. We hear that statement, if you love someone, it's going to be kind of blind. And what we see that, what we mean by that is we accept people as they are. We love, we love you no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, all this, right? There's a certain amount of truth to that, too, friend. You know, there's a certain amount of, the Bible even says love your enemies. There's a, there's a certain amount of truth where we're supposed to demonstrate love no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. That we don't stand perched on our high mountain and look down on people judgmentally, I wish you were more like me. Uh, th- that's, not, that's not what we do as Christians. That w- that's not what we're called to do. The Bible actually says quite the opposite. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, you should be the most humble of all because you know that you've been saved by grace through faith. But nevertheless, we kind of define this sort of love as accepting people as they are. But if you really follow this logic to its end, none of us really mean this. We might mean that, you know, we're still going to demonstrate love to them, but we don't really mean that we're all okay as we are. We certainly desire change in people from time to time, don't we? From drug, from drug addiction or violence. There are certain things that we know, certain values that we have, that we know aren't good for the person involved in them and hurt other people around them. And we, we don't love that about them. You guys have probably heard the popular saying, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin type of thing, right? And everyone, uh, every one of us operate, whether or not you're a Christian and you, you use words like sin, we still operate like that. I'm going to love this person even though I disagree with X, Y, or Z. I'm still going to show them love. And I think that's a very common thing for us to do. So more accurately, we might say that love desires for a person what is best for them. And often that requires a change in values or behavior. Should our souls be put under a microscope I don't think any of us would dare suggest that no change is needed, no change necessary, that all our thoughts and actions have always been right. I can't even say that about the last hour. (laughs) But God the Father says this about the Son, that he is pleasing through and through, that no change is necessary. That's pretty audacious, right? pretty incredible. His dad is well pleased with everything about him from start to finish. He undertakes a searching examination of all the motives and intentions of the son's heart, and he's pleased with all of it. Never was there sin. Never did he rebel. Never was there self-seeking. He was in all points tested just as us, yet without sin. He never screwed up. He never hated He never was jealous or envied. 
And we can't ignore a very important thing that he was pleased with about the son Peter tells us in the New Testament. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were, de- that you were redeemed with from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. God the Father announced, before anything was created, God knew he would create man, he knew that they would fall, and his plan was that the Son would die for their sins, and the Son said, Thy will be done. And God looks on his Son and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I love, and am well pleased. Isn't that incredible? And then he adds, Listen to him. Some time ago, I was in my garage on the second floor, and I was working with my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law was working on some piece of furniture. He was trying to learn how to refinish old furniture. And I was working on uh, finishing the second floor because it wasn't finished yet. So I was putting up sheetrock and insulation and all this. And we're standing there, and he, he stops working, and he says to me, isn't it interesting how to this day... I still want to bring my dad up here and show him what I did. He's like, we're 35, you know, we're in a, I'm in my late 30s, he's in his mid-30s, and I still want to show my dad what I did. How many people can appreciate that? I still want to show my dad. And, I, and he says this, and I respond to him, I was just going to say the same exact thing. We were thinking it at the same time. And you know, it's true, some days later, I don't know if you remember this, but I brought my dad up there, and I actually showed him. And to be quite honest, the reason I did it was because I was fishing. You know, what I, you know what I mean by that? I was fishing. I was fishing for his affirmation. I wanted him to look around and say, wow, you did this? That, this is incredible. This is, what a good job. I didn't know you knew how to do it. I wanted that. I wanted his applause. I wanted his affirmation. And he didn't give it to me, and I'm so angry. <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> You see, I was looking for a verdict that day that I was important, that I could do something, right? That I was impressive. I, I was looking for a verdict from my dad. I wanted to know that that was true about me. And friends, I, I can't imagine that we're all not in the same boat this morning. We, we want to know that that's tr- true about us too. When the father looked on the son's heart, and work, he was pleased. And he said, listen to him. Because he has something that you need. He knows something that you don't. He knows the way. It showed trust towards the son, respect towards the son, when he says, listen to him. God the Father announces to those present, and to all of us present today, listen to Christ. And friends, this is what I want you to do right now with me. Listen to Christ. Because when that was said over 2,000 years ago now, I believe it's just as true for those three apostles as it is for us today. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And friends, every single person in this room, I hope, can listen or at least give it a chance. At least consider it. That it might be true. That he has instruction for us 
to heal our broken and weary soul. Listen to Christ. Heed what he says. The Prince of Peace is ready to give you soul peace. Hear him. For much of our lives, and I want to look at that now, our soul peace. For much of our lives, we're looking to be loved. We're looking to be adored. We're looking to be included. We constantly try to prove that we're honorable and right, that we've made good choices in life, and that we know something others don't. But as it goes, when we fall short of group rules, we are no longer in but out. When we fall short of someone else's standards, we're out. Or group standards, we're out. And most of us have dealt with this, how many people know what I mean, by scorning the person or the group for measuring us according to those standards or expectations. You see, we don't want to feel the weight of have, as having failed. So they must be the ones that are wrong. Some of us even think that the problem is that there are rules at all. There shouldn't be any rules. We just need to be tolerant. Everyone's in, no one's out. You see what I mean? No matter what your values are, right? That's, that's kind of the message of our world today. But the only problem is, what's the problem with that? Well, that's the rule now. And you can break it. You can fall short of it. You see, you can throw away every single rule book that you don't like. You can throw away the Bibles. You can throw away your moms. You can throw away America's. But at the end of the day, you're going to have one. It might be yours. It might be Kyle's rule book. I got Kyle's commandments, Kyle's Ten Commandments, and here we go. Here they are. Don't wake up late, right, because lazy people wake up late. Work hard and don't get fired, right? You know, fill in the list. Be nice to people. Don't, you know, give people the bird if they cut you off. Never keep, give people the double bird. <laughs> I don't know how you do that driving anyway, but we have rules. We have rules in our life. Sorry for saying bird. I'm, I know this is a church. Um, and it's Christmas. We have our rules, don't we? And let me, ask you, let me ask you this very simple question. If you were to stand before you at the end of your life, how'd you do? How would you do? I don't think we'd do very well. I'd stand up before myself and say, you know, you know Kyle, I, I broke every one of our rules. Almost daily. I can't even keep my own rules. Isn't that true? If I were to cast a verdict on myself, I could not say that I would be well pleased with me. I couldn't say that. The fact is, I'm guilty. The fact is, I have fallen short. Whether it be my rules or God's rules or your mom's rules, I know it too. And friends, I don't, I don't know if we could pull the room. I think you know it too. No matter what you believe about God, no matter, what you've, no matter who your family is or what culture you're from, I think you know it too. We could never hear, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's not the verdict. And that's why, friends, your mom can tell you this till she's blue in the face. Your boss can even affirm it in you. Your spouse could affirm it in you. The whole world might affirm it in you, but you just know it's not true. No matter how much applause, it's not loud enough. So our souls remain restless and at war with itself. But the babe in the manger is the prince of peace. And we need to listen to him here. 
We need to listen to what he says, because here's what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you need to come through me. And why is that? Because he is innocent, and he is righteous, and he is altogether lovely when we couldn't be. When we aren't, he was. You see, friends, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. See, the point is, and this is what the gospel says, we don't measure up, friends. And and that might maybe offend our modern sensibilities, but don't you know it to be true? Don't you just know it in your gut that you just don't measure up? So what do you do about that? Most of us spend the rest of our lives trying to prove that it's wrong and we ne- it never works. Until we come to Christ, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when you put faith in Jesus, all of your sin is gone. You're reconciled with the Father. That's what it says in the New Testament. So now you can hear, this is my beloved Son. Because your sins have been forgiven. And you can hear this in in whom I am well pleased. Because in God's mind, it's as if you've always made the right choice from the day you were born. Because you have the righteousness of Christ. So what great news that in Christ, we can hear that announcement, that same exact announcement from the Father on us. This is my child in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Isn't that incredible? That that verdict would be cast on your life when you know the truth. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? And all you need to do this morning is come to Christ's hands up. You just need to know, you know what, the jig's up, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I've failed. I've fallen short. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You come to Christ, hands up, and hear the verdict cast. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You want to know that for real this Christmas? Come to Christ and trust him. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, we thank you that if we've put faith in Jesus Christ, everything that is true about Jesus, the moment we put faith in you, is true about us. We are your son, that you are delighted with, your sons and daughters, that you are delighted with. Thank you, God. I pray for this soul peace. I pray, Lord, that you would free us from having to sleep with people to prove our worth from always having to get another promotion. God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Creator's verdict in Christ on our lives. This is my loved child in whom I am well pleased. Listen to them. If you don't know Christ this morning, and you feel as if your heart is turning towards Him in faith, would you trust in Jesus Christ? Would you take your sin to Him? Would you, would you take your inadequacies to him? We all have them. 
Would you know that because of these things you've been separated from him, that the wages of sin is death? But God's great love for you sent his son to die for you so that his verdict on you might be, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus Christ was born in a manger, the Prince of Peace, so that he might die for sinners like us and be reunited with him. Put, your, put it on the Lord. Turn from it. The jig is up, right? Turn from it. Give it to Jesus. Let him die for it so that you don't have to die for it anymore. And receive his life. You can say a prayer like this. It's not a magic prayer. It's not something that if you repeat, it's, it's how you get your sins forgiven. Only Jesus forgives sin and sins at the cross. But you can say something like this. God, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. I want that verdict. I recognize that Jesus died in my place for my sin so that you might be well pleased with me. And I trust that his righteousness is given to me this moment. Friends, if you said that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something we don't always do here. I want to acknowledge you and pray for you. Could you raise your hand way up high? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. God, you see these precious souls. And God, we know that raising a hand isn't a magic trick. It doesn't do anything. But Jesus Christ does. So God, I pray that these precious souls would run after Jesus, that they would listen to him and follow him all the days of their lives. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to have a special um, candlelit um, service right now. So I don't know if we're ready to distribute those, are we? Can I get a thumbs up from somebody? Okay. So um, don't let, sorry kids, your parents are going to do this. These are real candles, so hopefully the fire alarms don't go off. Um, but they're going to pass them out, and my wife's going to come up with me. We're going to do a couple of more Christmas carols. So maybe we can just take a minute to get situated, and my wife's going to come up here and join us. I don't know how you're going to light them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Everyone come up here at the Advent candles. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's the logistics. Yeah. The logistics side of Joe is coming up. Okay, there we go. And we'll just start singing as you guys do that because I know it might take a little while. <laughs>